Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So Joe Biden is speaking at the UN, the United Nations. The Meaningless Debating Society. That's right. And uh, he just said, We've ended 20 years of conflict in Afghanistan, and as we close this period of relentless war, we're opening a new era of relentless diplomacy. To me, that sounds like the exact sort of thing you read in a history book years later that a president said right before the world went to war. (laughs) Doesn't it sound just like exactly like that sort of thing? I guess when you're a politician, you become accustomed to mouthing sentences that have no meaning. I guess. But that was a humdinger right there. Yeah. I mean, that was some fancy words that meant zip. Breaking news from the Associated Press. The Taliban announced a list of deputy ministers failing to appoint any women, apparently doubling down on an all-male government. Of course they did. In what sense is that news? I don't know. Good Lord. As Jonah Goldberg responded to it, People concerned about the lack of gender diversity in a terror state rather than the existence of the terror state is insane. Thank you, Jonah. Well said. And it's utterly predictable. It was known in advance. Oh, boy. Our media, it's just awful. Just sucky. Uh, speaking of which, Howard Kurtz, 
Fox News sees their uh, media reporter. He hosts Media Buzz on Sundays. He did a really good job discussing the lead up to the rally the other day. It was actually a very small rally. Everybody always knew it would be that suggested that some of the January 6th people uh, who were in custody were being treated badly and harshly, isolated, uh, solitary confinement, that sort of thing, utterly out of proportion for the charges against them, which is a perfectly reasonable thing to protest in a free society. It was trumped up, pardon the expression, as as a uh, January 6th part two, a sure-to-be bloodbath by all the alphabet networks, and and, uh, Mr. Kurtz did a pretty good job of taking that apart. Michael, uh, clip 80, if you'd be so kind. The Capitol protest had been relentlessly hyped for weeks, the media warning of possible violence, as conservative groups plan to demonstrate on behalf of the January 6th defendants they say are being mistreated. The threat level at the Capitol with protective barriers going back up ahead of another pro-Trump rally. We're on watch tonight. For any potential early unrest ahead of this twisted rally tomorrow in support of those who attacked our capital. But only a couple of hundred protesters showed up Saturday, far outnumbered by journalists and law enforcement officers. And with just four arrests and no injuries or clashes, that left CNN especially all suited up with plenty of airtime to fill. We have a team of correspondents covering every angle of this. And it doesn't seem that the Capitol Police, the Washington D Police, the Washington DC Police and other police that are here need to worry about being outnumbered. You could definitely feel uh, the tension from the police here. Right now, I cannot stress the depth of the white privilege that was on display today on Capitol Hill. The justice for the January 6th rally. Naturally, the press, including Fox News, had to cover law enforcement preparations for the protest, which included protective fencing, riot gear, and National Guard troops on standby. Yet the Washington Post said the tiny turnout was no surprise because, as was reported last week, some conservative groups told their followers not to come. And Donald Trump eventually soured on the rally, calling it a setup to embarrass his supporters if few showed up. The protest was a bust, but many in the news business never tire of rehashing the awful events of January 6th, tying the former president to his most extreme supporters. And they are poised to pounce on any controversial story involving Trump, who remains a magnet for ratings and clicks. Trey Gowdy had a great line on this whole deal, Michael, 82. Yeah, I mean, the first rally was a criminal and constitutional disaster, so I'm not surprised that people didn't show up for the second one. The silver lining is the media was there, which means they weren't at the Emmys and they weren't in a maskless indoor environment, and they got to meet some cops before uh, they're defunded. So that's the silver lining. So they were showing a shot of just hundreds and hundreds of media members and, I don't know, thousands of cops yeah. there. And this, this like a poorly attended high school baseball game worth of people who are, you know, chanting for better treatment for the defendants, which, again, is perfectly reasonable, just vastly outnumbered by, you know, the cops and the, 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 the leech media. You would think when you realize that there's way more of you with uh, cameras and cell phones than there are protesters, that you'd go home and, and decide to talk about something else and just and not embarrass yourself. How about one more little treat? Clip 81, Michael. Washington on high alert ahead of a rally supporting rioters arrested in the Capitol attack. Warnings of a serious threat of violence at tomorrow's rally in Washington, D.C. in support of the Capitol insurrectionists. The most dangerous unknown tonight 
is what tomorrow may bring. Authorities warning of threats of violence and of concerning chatter on the eve of a rally in support of hundreds of people now charged in the January 6th riot. It was a fairly paltry uh, turnout for the justice for January 6th rally. They said maybe 700 would show. It pretty much fizzled. What I wish we'd realize is whether it's terrorist attacks or this sort of thing or whatever, we've never predicted one. Not one based around this date or that You're or so right ever. They're all they always come out of nowhere. Well, we have to connect the dots, Jack. There's chatter. The chatter I heard on CNN a couple of days before the rally. Authorities say the chatter is exactly like right before January 6th. All right. All right. So since uh, Trey Gowdy brought up the Emmys, I wanted to mention this. So somebody asked the L.A. County Department of Public Health why everybody was maskless at the Emmys indoors, close together. Uh, anybody that was serving drinks or anything like that working there, you could see they were wearing masks, but everybody else was not. But anyway, L.A. County Department of Public Health told the L.A. Times that the maskless Emmys were not in violation of the county's mask mandate because, quote, exceptions are made for film, television and music productions since additional safety modifications are made for such events. How about Circle J's, where a bunch of self-important celebrities get together and give each other awards? So as Stephen Hayes retweeted, it turns out the virus make exceptions for film, television, and music productions. Beautiful. If your pandemic rules don't apply equally to everyone, they probably aren't necessary or justifiable. Oh, that reminds me. Do you still have that unbelievable collection of quotes from London Breed, the mayor of San Francisco? No, I was going to dig that up uh, again because that is so good. It's so good. From the unintentional hilarity department, folks, well worth staying tuned for. Yeah, um, as she broke her own rules also. Just hilarious. Hey, I've got this. Um, Yeah. I was feeling different because I was okay. My drink was sitting at the edge of the table, said Mayor Breed. I got up and started dancing because I was feeling the spirit and I wasn't thinking about a mask. Don't be the fun police, she said. (laughs) On why she was dancing and eating and drinking for hours, maskless, in spite of the mask mandate in San Francisco. Why are you being the fun police? This person Um, who closed down parks so kids couldn't play. And I, all kids' schools and everything. You, is. you direct the actual police. What do you mean, don't be the fun police? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Isn't that unbelievable? I mean, Rules it is, for thee, not for me. There are some things that we've learned from this pandemic, and one of them is even our, like, worst expectations of leaders <laughs> feeling like they get to live by different rules than the rest of us were outstripped. I mean, it's just beyond anything I would have ever even guessed. Uh, yeah. We're all human. And we all fall short sometimes. Yes, Gavin. Yeah, you who had a late dinner, which is unforgettable. We had an early dinner. Oh, I stand corrected. <laughs> you ass. But, I mean, I we all knew that they feel like the rules don't apply to them, but never to this level or that they would be this, they would flaunt it this much. Flout it this much. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that reminds me. Somebody, let me see if I can find this headline real quickly. Nancy Pelosi, estimated to be worth $114 million, says capitalism has not served us well. <laughs> we can get into that in a little that while. That is hilarious. We have now identified the world's oldest twins. Details coming up from the old twin desk. <laughs> oh, we have beautiful. a fight that broke out at a baby shower. Three guests shot. Oh, and a Ken Burns clapback. Stay with us. Oh, okay. Okay. 
Uh, or don't. I don't care. Do whatever you I want. I like a good clap back. <laughs> I hope they own somebody. Did they own anybody? Oh, total, total own him. Ownage. Are you kidding? <laughs> That's all on the way. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. <laughs> BTS performed and spoke at the UN today. Uh, the boy pan band yeah, from so Korea? We'll have a clip of that coming up. Apparently they took on climate change in the way that Ugh. K-pop bands should. Oh, you made me vomit. So if you had any l- leftover remaining respect for the UN, maybe that will... Snuff it out for you. Boy, in uh, news from the opposite end of the musical age scale, the Rolling Stones have played their first gig without Charlie Watts. Okay, how'd that go? Fine, no, as far as I know. No drummer? They're just like all over the place? No. Keep no, slowing down, speeding up? No, they played with uh, Steve Jordan, who's a wonderful oh. drummer. I don't know how it went. It was a private concert in Gillette Stadium for the Kraft family. Robert Kraft, owner of the uh, New England Patriots. Wow. It was a warm-up show for fan? their upcoming tour. Fan of Florida rub and tugs? That Robert Kraft? <laughs> I don't think that's really the, the, the lead on his resume. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I guess they're players, the, the Rolling Stones. They're players and they want to play. I mean, greed can't possibly explain no. Why, no. why they're continuing to play. No, can't be. I mean, they're, they're all well into their 70s and, and richer than King Croesus of old. I mean, so they just love playing, I guess, unless I'm missing something. Anyway, uh, we're going to get big into the, uh, the the mind-boggling spending bill and the wrangling over it in D.C., not because the particulars of it are, are that interesting, but, but because it reveals so much of the way Washington really works and some of the people involved uh, next segment. So hope you can uh, stay tuned for that. Um, let's see. Wanted to go with this. Jeff Bezos has pledged a billion dollars to protect 30% of the Earth's land and sea. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Bezos. Exactly. To put it aside as some sort of nature preserve and uh, stop animals from getting extinctified. That sounds very nice, very generous. A uh, billion dollars. He has well over 200 billion, they think. And uh, not only that, but it is pointed out uh, in he this article. He has over $200 billion. I believe so, yeah. Man, the, 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 the whole world's richest person sure shot up. Yeah, he's uh, richer than anybody except Elon Musk, which even according to Elon Musk is a little suspect because nobody's quite sure why Tesla's valued as high as it is. Uh, they point out, though, in this excellent piece of uh, journalism, Bezos and Amazon have long been among the top targets for environmental activists and groups who point out the massive carbon footprint of the airplanes, trucks, and vans that race to deliver the zillions of packages to Amazon customers mm. every within a day or two, theoretically. And the threat from the company's emissions mm. grows as e-commerce booms. Mm. Making what? my skeptical voice. What? Are any of us ordering anything from Amazon that we wouldn't go to the store and get otherwise? So we would just drive to the store and get our I big think box the argument, of Clorox wipes instead of somebody delivers it to me? 
But you get one truck delivering a million dollars worth of goods to your local Target, as opposed to a gigantic fleet of trucks chasing around yeah, town, but we giving all, me one package, you one package, Michael one package. But we all individually drive to get the stuff at the store. So either I have it delivered by a truck to my house, or I drive to the store and pick it up. No, no, because you you get lots of stuff when you're at the store usually, don't you? I mean, uh, uh, Amazon is almost literally one truck trip for everything you buy, unless you buy a bunch of stuff at once, which some people do. Yeah, I'm not sure I uh, buy that it would make that much difference. But anyway. Listen to Jack rationalizing for the, the polluters who are extinguishing our species one after the other in the pocket of uh, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Bezos. Jeffrey, <laughs> Jeffrey Bezos. Thanks, folks. I've known he's wearing suits lately, and now I know why. Because he's getting rich off Jeffrey Bezos. <laughs> Jeffrey, Jeffrey Bezos. Am I invested in Amazon? I don't even know. Probably got to figure that out. Seems so, like so. Seems like something I should have done a long time ago. Is Jeff Bezos a bad guy or a good guy? Do we know? I think it's a complicated picture. Okay. Um, I don't know. He's a complex fellow, right. no doubt. He has some odd ideas, uh, no doubt. Uh, so uh, just moving along, a lot of uh, just short stories for you here. The Supreme Court has agreed to hear on December the 1st the big Mississippi super restrictive abortion ruling. This is a head-on collision with Roe versus Wade, is it not? There's no getting around it. Yeah, it's, It was designed by smart lawyers to be no way to get around it. Right. Meanwhile, in Tejas, you remember that uh, interesting new abortion law where beyond a certain uh, number of weeks around the fetal heartbeat uh, period, a woman can't get an abortion, but it wouldn't be enforced by the state. Private citizens could sue the abortion provider, which, trust me, is not a good idea, no matter how you feel about abortion. Well, a Texas doctor who violated the state's abortion ban is being sued in San Antonio for providing an abortion. So now there's somebody withstanding. Exactly. The plaintiff, interestingly enough, is a felon serving a federal sentence at home in Arkansas with no connection to the abortion at issue, none whatsoever. Hmm. He said he filed the claim not because of strongly held views about reproductive rights, but in part because of the $10,000 he could receive if the lawsuit is successful. Reproductive rights, yet another euphemism. A second suit filed Monday, just four paragraphs long, came from a man in Chicago who asked the state court to strike down the abortion laws invalid. I would like to pass a law where, yeah, everybody has to say out loud, we're going to kill that little thing inside the mom and take it out. Because she doesn't want to be pregnant, doesn't want a baby. If you don't want to call it a baby, you don't have to. I mean, leave that up to you. Fetus. But there is something alive in there that's being killed. Yeah. Embryo, fetus. Sure. Let's just call it what it is. I can handle it. Calling it reproductive rights. I mean, I just... I can't believe that people get away with that. But anyway, whatever. Yeah. Moving along, Samuel Adams has a new beer out so strong it's illegal in 15 states. I don't understand this story because you can buy vodka. I don't understand your point. This is a strong beer, Jack. Very strong. (laughs) So strong it's illegal in 15 states. But you could buy the vodka on the shelf next to it and get as hammered as you want? I don't understand your point. Yeah, I know. It's so stupid. It's 28% alcohol. Oh, yeah, it'd be very strong beer. Well, it's it's not beer. Right. It's, really. Right. It's, it's beer liquor. But it's so strong, it's a little... All right. <laughs> you reach a foot to your right, you can buy bourbon, put you in the hospital. All right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I anyway. sniff paint, so... That's how I get high. 
Good. It's good for you. There's no negatives to that. It's you fine. Pour a little paint in a paper sack. Just carry it around with you. Huffing, they call it. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, the latest on the big bill, hopefully not making its way through Congress. Armstrong and Getty. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Last night's ruling was extremely disappointing. It saddened me. It frustrated me. It angered me. But make no mistake, the fight continues. Senate Democrats have prepared alternative proposals and will be holding additional meetings with the Senate parliamentarian in the coming days. Senate Democrats were reminded the rules of this institution 
will not permit them to shove a massive amnesty for illegal immigrants into a reckless taxing and spending spree they want to ram through on a party-line basis. So the Democrats attempted to uh, see if they could call illegal immigration human infrastructure. And, deal, and a budget item. And deal with it because infrastructure is a budget item. This new invention, human infrastructure, was just broadening to all kinds of different things. Early education, they call pre-K, which is providing babysitters for people all across the country for four-year-olds is what that is. Yep. But there's all kinds of different things that are being called all kinds of different things to fit into this $3.5 trillion bill. And the Senate parliamentarian, whatever that is, stood up and said, no, you can't give 8 million people green cards and call that the budget. The the current, but that saddened Chuck Schumer. It angered him. I don't want to ruin the drama of this, but the current belief among the people I generally listen to on this sort of stuff don't think this three and a half trillion thing is going to make it. But the fact that it's come as close as it has is pretty frightening to me, and I don't blame uh, I don't blame Democrats for trying because they have come close and still may pull it off of getting through the according to the Associated Press today. The biggest change to the way we structure our safety net in this country in a hundred, almost a hundred years. We're going back to the New Deal. Almost a right. hundred years expanding so, the safety net. Like, for instance, Chuck Schumer, they're utterly dishonest. He knew what the parliamentarian was going to say. I mean, it's just it was an easy call, but he's he's posturing for his audience. Do you think the calculation is that uh, they're sending the message that, look, if you give us a good majority in the midterms, we'll we'll breed Santa Claus with King Kong and and have this super creature that's a Santa Claus on steroids that will redistribute half of the entire economy and give it all to you because they know this thing's not going through, right? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if they know this thing is not going through. I think it might have gone through if they could have if they could have done this, you know, a couple of months ago. When, the, when people were just kind of so crazed over Trump being gone and Biden's the new guy and everything was you know up in the air. and I think they could have jammed it through, but I think the time has passed. They may have missed their window. I, I can't blame them for trying. I wish my side would ever come this close to getting through all the things I'd like to get through. Yeah, it's tougher, though. It's tougher for conservatives because we don't have a massive something we want to do. We want to be left alone. We want to have, you know, liberty, mostly. Um, I thought Brett Bear, I'm sorry, Brit Hume made it a really excellent point about the, the spending bill in clip 52. All of these problems they're running into with this massive bill are a function of trying to act as if you have a massive mandate when you have basically no mandate at all. I mean, this is really, they really have a staggeringly ambitious spending agenda, also social agenda, um, with a you know, tied Senate and a tiny handful of votes in their, you know, majority in the House. Um, it was probably never going to work, and it looks like it is not going to work. And the decision by the parliamentarian was obvious and obviously correct. So I think that's where we are. So the big question at this point is, because you have the, 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 the left wing of the party, your Bernie AOC crowd, and and uh, Nancy Pelosi's trying to figure out how much she has to cater to them. They're saying we're not going to vote for the one and a half trillion dollar actual infrastructure package that virtually everybody agrees on, more or less. 
if you don't do this three and a half trillion dollar human infrastructure thing. And uh, how serious are they? Could could the Democrats get into a game of chicken where they end up with neither of them, which would be fine with me? Um, uh, could they end up with neither of them? I don't I don't know. That that would be a heck of a swing and a miss. Tell you one thing: If uh, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema are killed in a car wreck, I'd check those brake lines to see if they were cut. <laughs> Stranger things have happened. So the other end of it, and we generally don't talk about the debt limit showdowns when they happen. Um, and I feel like, you know, sometimes we assume you all know what's going on here, and but we have newer listeners from new stations and younger people that maybe haven't been through this stupid song and dance. We put a debt limit on ourselves we made this up this is a creation this is like when you decide for yourself <laughs> if i ever go over 205 pounds i'm gonna i'm gonna join a gym and i'm gonna get serious about a diet 205 right. is my limit and you write it on a dry erase board or you just keep it in your mind but it's made up it's just arbitrarily made up that's what we do as a government if we ever reach this level of debt we have gone too far we got to do something about it and this is what we do every single time we reach that point and then we raise it we grab the eraser, erase it, then write a new number on the dry erase board. It's that permanent. But it has the power of uh, law and finance. And if we don't, if we actually didn't raise it, the government doesn't have the ability to pay bills and stuff like that. So uh, various parties have used it as a as a uh, a tool to try to force things to happen. The interesting one this time around, though, is the Wall Street Journal points out. Democrats don't need a single vote to raise the federal borrowing limit. In these past battles, you needed a little give and take from each side, so there was a bit of a you know uh, a negotiation going on. But this time around, the Democrats want to raise it. They control the House and the Senate, and they could raise it right now if they wanted to. Simple majority in the there's, Senate. There's nothing stopping them, but they're acting like there is. And it's pretty hilarious. From the Wall Street Journal, Democrats on Monday escalated this gambit by linking the debt limit suspension to a vote to fund the government through December and provide emergency disaster relief. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi hope this will force Republicans to vote yes on something. A Republican-forced default could plunge the country into a recession, the Democratic duo said yesterday. Even though they have the power completely on their own to raise it. And I think it's working because at least like on your MSNBCs and CNNs, those cable news channels, they're acting like it's a Republican thing. So there you go. But just know in case you get into an argument with your friends, Democrats could raise it right this moment if they wanted to. Right. Exactly. This is the ultimate performative politics. And you see the Democrats in league with their friends in the media. Uh, we will supply you outraged voters who are angry at the Republicans, say the media folks, and the politicians respond, we will uh, we will supply you with clicks and eyes and ears watching this incredibly non-dramatic drama unfold. As the Wall Street Journal says, only in Washington can the majority party blame the minority for not funding the government the majority controls and then hope to get away with it. Um, God, it's like a four-year-old girl stands between me and some sort of goal, and I'm trumpeting what a brave, brave man I have and what a battle is to come. <laughs> will come we on. Will we default on our bills for the first time in our nation's history? I've heard that 27 times. I have heard that. In 20, the last week, yeah. I've heard that 27 times over the last 10 years. The only thing that gets my intention is that we are living in an era of things I never thought could happen, happen. We do live in that era. Whether it's two impeachments in one year, 
Sure. Or or whatever. Uh, things I never thought could happen happening because we're just so off the track. But yeah, the level of tribalism and dishonesty is uh, you know as high as has ever existed. I think. Hey, we got the actual audio of the mayor of San Francisco explaining why she gets to be maskless when you have to wear masks. <laughs> See if you find her arguments persuasive. That's next. Armstrong and Getty. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. You know, I was there, I was eating, and I was drinking, and I was sitting with my friends, and everyone who came in there was vaccinated. 
So the fact that we have turned this into a story about being maskless, no, I'm not going to sip and put my mask on, sip and put my mask on, sip and put my mask on, eat and put my mask on. While I'm eating and I'm drinking, I'm going to keep my mask off. And yes, in the end time, while we're drinking, like everyone else there, we were all having a good time. And again, all vaccinated. So the fact that this is even a story is sad. The mayor of San Francisco explaining why her own mandate is so ridiculous she violated it. Yeah. But you can't. That was a pretty good argument for why the whole making vaccinated people wear masks indoors, which is your rule in San Francisco. Uh, That was a pretty good argument for why that's a dumb rule. But it's your rule. But when you don't yes. do it, you're making the arguments I make, which is weird. Okay. Well, and and she was utterly disdainful of the very idea of it. That didn't get to the whole, uh, my drink was at the edge of the table while I was dancing, because she went to, she got up and was dancing for a while, too. But my drink was right there. That's why I had my mask off. Well, she was dancing. Because I was going to take a sip. So Any minute now. Sure. <laughs> Whatever. <sighs> Whatever. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. If we weren't anesthetized by, you know, TV and the Internet and and, and drink and drugs and and entertainment and the rest of it, a lot of these so-called leaders would be dragged into the street peacefully. And I love you. Oh, you're so kind. So uh, speaking of the Chinese bat fever, some really interesting uh, research compiled by Kevin of the Hill Country, loyal listener to the Armstrong and Getty Show and font of great information. He points out maybe you've seen the headlines. The news just gleefully marked the milestone of the U.S. reaching 675,000 COVID deaths, which puts us on par uh, with the American deaths during the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic. CNBC, for example, declared that COVID-19 is officially America's deadliest pandemic. Putting aside the fact that we now have triple the population now, but you can't put that aside. I mean, that's that's important. It's fundamental. Putting that aside, the idea that it's America's worst pandemic is really not responsible either, given the fact that the flu pandemic of 1918 and beyond uh, killed the youngest and healthiest among us. Yeah, that's the scariest thing about the Spanish flu, the healthier were. Like, if you were a super workout athlete, 25, you're the prime suspect for that particular flu to kill you. And, you know, people dying is people dying. But they also point out that the number of 65-plus-year-olds even available to be killed by the flu was so tiny compared to modern society where people live so much longer, it's difficult to compare. But the the numbers are are amazing. We've actually seen a decline in the expected death rates of uh, uh, infants and one to four-year-olds, partly because, you know, there was a huge reduction in number of miles driven and that sort of thing, exposure to other diseases. Um, compared so, to So less young people died during the pandemic than normally die. It was safer than normal. That's interesting. There was a teeny tiny rise in 5 to 14-year-olds. But those people were almost entirely those with serious comorbidities. Meanwhile, during the Spanish flu, uh, 1 to 4-year-olds, the death rate was up 60%. 60. Oh. 5 to 14-year-olds, it was more like 85. Can you imagine the terror? Oh, I, the, the, just then, and the heartbreak. 15 to 24. Four-year-olds, the death rate was up 150%. That means two and a half times. 25 to 34-year-olds, it was even worse. It was up 175%. 
So not only are you comparing, you know, very different eras and different populations, but who is killed um, is completely different. And, you know, I could dig even deeper into those stats, but I think that more or less uh, establishes the, the truth of it. But interesting Twitter exchange. Jake Tapper tweeted that more than 675,000 people have died, uh, surpassing the country's estimated death from the 1918 Spanish flu. Jonah Goldberg tweets sarcastically, get ready for a lot of actually when you adjust for population tweets. Well, our friend uh, Kevin actually responded to that and said, you're saying this like providing context and nuance instead of just blurting out numbers is a bad thing. Well, Jonah repeatedly doubled down on his original take, and in doing so, I'm quoting Kevin here, revealed himself to be among the many great, the great many media figures who lack context surrounding just how severe this pandemic has been. When challenged as to why one would compare the two pandemics and what is in reality a moderate to low impact pandemic, Jonah had seen enough. I rest my case. Uh, I have major objections to many masking and lockdown policies, but calling this a moderate to low impact pandemic is morally grotesque and in all other ways absurd. Oh, and it's definitely not pro-life. Um, then somebody responds that my kids are still masked, my business was decimated, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Then they go into the CDC's actual prior to 2020 um, definitions, and this is because of the case fatality ratio, a low to moderate impact pandemic by the CDC's own definition. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So we got into the raw numbers on uh, kids being killed by the COVID, and these are fascinating numbers that you should have at your fingertips if you get into arguments with people. And I don't mean just like arguments with a guy at a bar i mean arguments with school board members or you know uh, city councils or whatever over your kids having to wear masks at school or at the park or uh, i joe thinks vaccine mandates for kids are coming i wonder about that it seems to be coming and i just i need to know a lot more about uh, adverse reactions to the vaccine versus the actual threat to kids which is as i'm sure you're about to explain quite low do you know how many kids have died during the entire pandemic so we've had almost we're headed towards 700,000 total deaths that's a lot of people but do you know how many kids have died and by kids i mean up to age 18 so that's a wide range there about 500 total over the entire 18 months in this giant country, about 500 kids, and about half of those, it's believed, were in really bad health to start with. So it's almost nobody, no kids die of this thing. If you break it down to zero to four-year-olds, and I see tiny little kids with masks, you saw the kid on the plane that had to be wearing ma- the mask the other Two day? Two years old having an asthma attack. 159 four-year-old and younger kids have died in the entire country in a year and a half that's a nobody no it's tragic and it's heartbreaking but sure of course kids die of disease sometimes you wouldn't think we'd be having the conversation we're having about uh, schools being shut down and all the different things when you had 500 total kids die over a year and a half pandemic yeah, I mean, if you got yep. to, if you got years from now and you talked about, yeah, and the schools were shut down. Some of the schools were shut down for like a year and a half. Lots of schools shut down for a whole year. Kids weren't educated. Parks were closed with yellow tape around them. Wow, how many suicide, th- addiction, abuse, etc. How many tens of thousands of kids died during that period? Oh, five hundred kids total nationwide. Yeah, zero to eighteen. I'm talking. Yeah, we've lost our mind as a country. 
And uh, if there are any significant, I mean, beyond like your trivial, uh, trivial, statistically uh, insignificant uh, adverse events tied to the uh, vaccination among kids, whether it be the myocarditis with the the inflammation of the heart lining um, or, or something else. I mean, just if there's any risk and I'm you know, I'm fine with the vaccine. I'm glad I got it. I'll get a booster when it's available. Um if there's any risk to the kids whatsoever, given the incredibly low risk of the actual COVID, I just don't I don't see how you could justify a mandate. But you think it'll happen? Well, I think they're going to try like crazy to make it happen. I've heard plenty of people staunchly in favor of that. But again, and, and I wonder if these numbers have uh, have persisted. It was a few months ago that we brought you that that giant study from Gallup, I think it was. It was one of your big, really reputable polling organizations that showed that, uh, depending on which specific question you asked, left America believed the COVID was 10 to 80 times more dangerous than it is, depending on the age group. They thought it was 80 times more dangerous for children than it is. 80 times. And that is going to result in skewed, indefensible public policy, which is what we have. That is, I'm glad you pointed out, because that is what's going on. People are making policy around incorrect numbers. Yeah. I got to believe if you sat down with a lot of teachers, school board members or whatever and say, look, 500 kids have died total in the whole country in a year and a half from COVID. It's so hard to get good data. I think a lot of them would say, what? Well, that's from the CDC's website, which was updated as recently as last week. Yeah, I was just thinking about the uh, hospitalized with with COVID as opposed to hospitalized from COVID, which the left-leaning Atlantic just published the other day. They did their own study of it, and the number is of breakthrough infections that had to be hospitalized or at least double the reality, the numbers you've heard. I mean, it's become so hard to, to, to get good data and make good, sound uh, decisions. We've got another online craze that is not just sweeping in the United States, but the world beaming. Beaning has taken off. Oh, boy. You need to know about this. You need to sit your kids down and have a talk with them about beaning. (laughs) If you miss a segment of the show, you can grab it via podcast, wherever podcasts are given away for free. Armstrong and Getty. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.